Okay, so we'll go a little deep tonight. We're going to be in the book of Joel. And as I mentioned last week in some of our, one or two of our um, books here, what they call the Minor Prophets, uh, we may combine a couple of those, but tonight will just be Joel by itself. It's three chapters, but it, there's so much stuff in Joel uh, we'll want to look at tonight. And then maybe um, in, the, in the week or two to come, there may, we may combine a couple of books. But Joel is only three chapters long, and it only has 73 verses in it, so it's not a real long uh, book. Um, but it's um, the majority of the book actually is not only about events in Joel's day, but the majority of the book actually has to do with the future with the time of the tribulation and uh, the, um, uh, the duration of that and then the end of the tribulation going into the millennial reign of Christ. So as we get to that tonight and start in Joel, uh, the theme of the book of Joel is simply day of the Lord. Now that, that phrase, the day of the Lord, is seen in other books it's seen in Isaiah and a couple of other the prophets. Oh, let me just back up too. Joel is one of what they call the minor prophets, but he's not minor as far as his message goes. It just happens to be that it's a just usually the minor prophets are smaller in length, and um, and so his his is three chapters. But um, we just it's just called minor prophet just to to designate it from the, what we call major prophets, which are Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel. So anyway, the day of the Lord is the theme of the book of Joel, and it's seen a few times, and we'll, do a, we'll run the references in just a moment. But again, it's only three chapters, and um, the time frame for Joel is actually pretty late in the history of uh, Israel before uh, the silent period, as it's called, uh, where there was no more writing after 400 BC, so his his time roughly is about 488 to 477. And I had to research a couple of different uh, there, there are a couple of different um, uh, schools of thought on this. Some believe he thought wrote earlier along the time of Isaiah, but there's also a lot of evidence to show that he wrote a lot later um, after Isaiah's time and towards the end time of the um, the time that Judah was in captivity. And so it was written to Judah during captivity, towards the end of their captivity, actually, in Babylon, as several of the prophets wrote. So let's look at a couple of similarities. Hold your place there in Joel and back up to Isaiah, and we'll see a couple of places where he's similar to two other books in some of the things he has to say. In Joel 2, in verse number 10, The earth shall quake before them, the heavens shall tremble, the sun and moon shall be dark, and the stars shall withdraw their shining. Isaiah chapter 13 and verse 10, Isaiah says almost the same thing. For the stars of heaven and the constellations thereof shall not give their light. The sun shall be darkened and is going forth. The moon shall not cause her light to shine. Um, another place, a couple of places that he writes um, in, in, uh, in his three chapters are similar to the next uh, book, the book of Amos. And when you look at chapter 3 verse 16 of Joel right towards the end of his, uh, of, of his book. The Lord also shall roar out of Zion and utter his voice from Jerusalem. That, of course, is talking about the second coming or the second advent. Uh, Amos chapter 1, verse 2, and he said the Lord will roar from Zion and utter his voice from Jerusalem. So um, he matches Amos also uh, as well. Then you look at uh, Joel 2, verse 2. A day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness, as the morning spread upon the mountains, and that's talking about the tribulation. And Amos says something very similar in chapter 5, verse 18. Warn you that desire the day of the Lord. Um, to what is it for you? The day of the Lord is darkness 
and not light. So um, there are a lot of similarities there because these other, uh, other prophets writing these books are writing about the same thing it, that he is about the tribulation. Um, we'll come back to this a little bit later, but Joel 2 verse 28 through 32 is loosely quoted in Acts 2 verse 16 to 21. We'll come back to that in a moment if you want to write that down, but it is in a slide. We'll come back to that in just a few moments. It is quoted in Acts 2 during the day of Pentecost, and we're going to see why he quotes that um, when he does there. But anyway, that's just some... Um, places where Joel matches in some way other books, and this is one place where he's quoted. Okay, just a quick breakdown of the three chapters, and then we're going to go a little deeper as we, as we usually do, and then we're going to hit the highlights like we try to do as we go on our GPS. So chapter 1, verse 1 to 14, talks about a plague of locusts that come, that come through and sweep through Israel and through Judah. And it's uh, one of the plagues God sends through there because, again, remember, over and over and over we've seen this in all the prophets, how God sends warnings in various ways, whether it's the voice of a prophet preaching to them, you know, get right, you've been worshiping idols, you need to come back to the God who loves you. And uh, he says, you know, get right with, with uh, the Lord with this. And so one of the things that he did uh, at that time was he allowed some locusts and some other uh, some other. Um, uh, creatures to, to come through and to, to basically just strip their crops uh, because of their continual hardening their heart and disobeying God. And so when you read verse 1 to 14, you see where the locusts come through and where there's uh, uh, great destruction. And then you pick up at chapter 1 and verse 15, and basically from chapter 115 to the end of chapter 3, that whole section there, those, you know, two and a half chapters, basically, is about looking toward the day of the Lord. We'll get to that in a moment. But looking at the future of what's going to happen in the tribulation. Then you get to chapter 3, some of the events that will take place in the day of the Lord. And we'll back up and we'll look at those in a moment. So that's just a quick overview of three chapters. Again, it's not long, but um, that's, that's probably about the best way to divide up uh, the little three-chapter book of Joel. So in chapter 1, verse 10 to 14, he tells God's people to mourn and to repent. There are six groups that he specifically addresses in here. They're to get things right with him. They have been, um, you know, they've gone into idolatry. They were lazy toward their worship of God. They were lazy toward um, the, the temple and all that it was about. And so there's six groups that are found. In verse uh, chapter 1, verse 5 to 8, he tells the drunkards to mourn and to, to, um, to repent. And then... Um, Chapter 1, verse 11 to 12, he talks about farmers and gardeners, which are, you know, in some ways the same thing, but uh, two different groups there he tells also. Chapters 4 and 5, or excuse me, um, the 4th and 5th group, rather, are priests and ministers, and then the 6th group is elders, and it's found down, uh, down verse 11 to 12, down through um, those next few verses there. So he tells them all to mourn and to weep, to, to get things right with him, and addresses those specifically. Um, breaking down chapter 3 a little bit more, we said that um, chapters 2 and 3 especially deal with what's called the day of the Lord. And the first half of chapter 3, a little more than the first half, verse 1 to 15 talk about events in the great tribulation to come. And then verse 16 to 21, the end of the book, talks uh, there you see some mentions about the millennial kingdom, the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. So with that, let's, let's look at this and see a little bit about um, this key word, key phrase, uh, and we'll run the references in just a moment, 
But the day of the Lord is found um, about five or six times in the book of Joel. And it refers to this, this time from after the rapture of the church. Remember, the church is not in the Old Testament and the rapture is not in the Old Testament because the rapture is for the church. So if the church is not in the Old Testament, the rapture is not in the Old Testament, right? So um, it begins from after the rapture of the church, when the tribulation begins, all the way until the end of the millennium is called the day of the Lord. Now you say that's more than one day. Yeah, that's more than one, that's a thousand seven years. But it's called a day because sometimes in Scripture a day doesn't necessarily mean a 24-hour day. Now, in creation, when God created the heaven and the earth, those days were literal 24-hour days. But sometimes a day in Scripture can mean a period of time, not just 24 hours. And so as we see that, uh, let's run the references, then I'll show you a chart here. Chapter 1, verse 15 is the first one. Uh, Alas for the day, for the day of the Lord is at hand. And as a destruction from the Almighty shall it come. Chapter 2, there are three of them. Verse 1, blow ye the trumpet in Zion and sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble for the day of the Lord cometh, for it is nigh at hand. Verse 11, and the Lord shall utter his voice before his army, for his camp is very great, for he is strong that executeth his word. For the day of the Lord is great and very terrible. Who can abide it? Another one in chapter 2, verse 31. The sun shall be turned into darkness. This is one that we'll come back to in a minute. And the moon to blood before the great and terrible day of the Lord come. And then verse 14 of chapter 3. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision, for the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. So the day of the Lord basically begins after the rapture of the church. When the tribulation begins, that's when the day of the Lord begins. Goes through the seven years of tribulation, the second advent, which is when Jesus comes back with his church, with you and me, at the end of the tribulation to set up as a millennial kingdom on earth for a thousand years. That whole period from after the rapture is called the day of the Lord. So that day is actually a thousand seven years, but it is a day, and that, that is a period of time of prophecy in Scripture. So um, that's a, a good, um, if you can make notes or something, and anytime you see that phrase, the day of the Lord, anywhere in the Old Testament, it is referring to, uh, it, it can refer to any part of that time, but the time frame is that whole time frame. So sometimes when it says the day of the Lord, it may be talking about something that's going to happen in the tribulation itself. And that's part of the day of the Lord. So it's, for, it's during that period. Okay, let's look at a couple of places in here. Well, we'll just stop and take our time to look a little bit and, um, and, and uh, see some of these references in here about of the prophecy of the events, the things that will happen. We're going to actually look at this passage twice. Um, I think I put my second slide in there. We'll find out before we get to the end. Chapter 2, look at verse 28 to 32. Uh, this, is the second, uh, this is the second coming of Jesus or the second advent. This takes place at the end, uh, towards the end at least, and to, and to the end of the tribulation. Remember that's seven years, and we're going to see some references in Matthew that help us put this together. Verse 28, And it shall come to pass afterward, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams, your young men shall see visions. And also upon the servants and upon the handmaids in those days, 
I will pour out my spirit, and I will show wonders in the heavens and the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and terrible, there's our phrase, day of the Lord shall come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be delivered for in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem shall be deliverance as the Lord hath said and in the remnant whom the Lord shall call. So this is obviously a description of the tribulation and when it talks about the um, sun turning to darkness, that's right there at the end of the tribulation. Go with me to Matthew, if you will. Matthew's gospel, hold, hold Joel, we will be back in a moment. Matthew's gospel, chapter 24. I actually preached from this a um, few weeks ago when we were in our, uh, looking at one of the messages in our study, Back to the Future, talking about prophecy. And we were talking about the tribulation then. And chapter 24, look at verse 29. I don't think I went this far in that, in that message. Verse 29 to 31. Now remember where he talks about the blood and fire pillars of smoke and the darkness, the moon turning into blood. Look at verse 29 to 31. Immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened, the moon shall not give her light, the stars shall fall from heaven, the powers of the heaven shall be shaken. And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. Then shall the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet. They shall gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. So Joel describes what we see there in verse 29 uh, of uh, Matthew 24. And Jesus is telling the disciples, they asked him a question earlier in, that cha in uh, chapter 24, what will be the sign of your coming? What will be the end of the world? And so he goes into telling them about nation rising against nation. There will be wars and rumors of wars. And then he talks about how there will be those that are, um, uh, about how um, there will be those who will have to flee basically for their life. And there will be great tribulation. And then the end of it is when uh, in those days the sun is dark and the moon will not give its light. So everything is coming to an end at that point, at the end of the tribulation. And then the Lord Jesus is coming, will come back at that point. So chapter 24, verse 29 to 31, ties us back to Joel 2, where it talks about what's to come in the tribulation. All right, let's look a little bit more, and then we're going to come back actually to Joel 2 in a minute. Chapter 3, verse 1 to 17, remember we're talking about the day of the Lord. And how, remember how we said after the tribulation is the second coming of Christ, and then there will be the millennial reign of Christ. All right, so chapter 3, verse 1 to 17, a little lengthier, We'll look at a couple of passages in Revelation and tie this together. Um, chapter 3, verse 1, start there. For behold, those days and in that time when I shall bring again the captivity of Judah and Jerusalem. So remember remember a little bit about what we've talked about in the past on our, in our other studies and from the other prophets talking about. At the time that Joel writes this, the kingdom is still divided. you got northern kingdom, ten tribes, Israel. Southern kingdom, two tribes, Judah. So the kingdom was divided. It was all, it, once it was divided, it continued to be divided. And it's still divided and will be divided until Jesus comes back. When he comes back to set up his kingdom on earth, he will put Judah, uh, he'll put Judah and Israel back together and they will be one nation. And so he talks about the captivity of Judah and Jerusalem. But that when he comes back, he'll put 
both those nations and there'll be one nation again. Verse 2, and I'll gather all nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. That is called that because there was a battle that King Jehoshaphat, we studied him earlier in, in 2 Chronicles, that he fought in a valley that it turns out it's the same valley as we're going to look at in just a moment uh, where, where, where the battle in the future at the end of the tribulation is called the Battle of Armageddon will take place. And so that's what this valley is called here in the Old Testament is the Valley of Jehoshaphat. It's the same place, it's just given more than one name. A lot of things in the Bible are that way. A lot of things, a lot of places have more than one name. And will plead with them, I'm in verse 2, for my people and for my heritage Israel, whom they have scattered among the nations and parted my land. So remember, they were divided, but he will bring them back together. Verse 3, and they have cast lots for my people, have given a boy for a harlot and sold a girl for wine that they, may, uh, that they might drink. Uh, yea, and what have you to do with me, O Tyre and Zidon, and the coast of Palestine? So here, some of the things he's saying is going directly to the nations around at the time. But we see as we read on through here um, that these events will actually, uh, you know, all, they will take place in its fullness when Jesus comes back. Pick up at verse uh, 9. Proclaim, this among, proclaim me this among the Gentiles, prepare war. Wake up the mighty men. Let all the men of war draw near. Let them come up. Beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. Let the weak say, I'm strong. We get that. We use that. That phrase is found in one of our courses we sing. Um, Let the weak say, I'm strong. It's found in um, Give Thanks. I believe it's a course. Anyway, verse 11. Assemble yourselves and come, all ye heathen, and gather yourselves together round about. Thither cause the mighty ones to come down, O Lord. Let the heathen be wakened and come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat. Again, that's going to be, as we'll see in a moment, the valley of uh, Armageddon. For there will I sit to judge the heathen round about. Put ye in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe, and uh, come get you down, for the press is full, the vats overflow, the wickedness is great. Multitudes in the valley of decision. In the day of the Lord... And is near in the valley of decision. You're okay without the microphone on? Good, very good. The sun sh uh, and the moon shall be darkened. The stars shall withdraw their shining. We just saw that in chapter 2, didn't we? Verse 16. The Lord also shall roar out of Zion and utter his voice from Jerusalem. And the heavens and the earth shall shake. But the Lord will be the hope of his people and the strength of, his, of the children of Israel. So shall you know that I am the Lord your God, dwelling in Zion, my holy mountain. Then shall Jerusalem be holy, and there shall be no strangers pass through her anymore. So this describes when Jesus will come back at the end of the tribulation. So let's tie this in with Revelation and see how this ties together and um, see how uh, Joel's prophecy comes in with what John writes in Revelation. No, we won't. Let's see. Um, I'll read it from here. I forget. wouldn't think about the screen up there. Revelation 16, verse 16, if you want to go ahead there, and then we'll be in chapter 19. Good thing that the laptop can work at least. Revelation 16, verse 16. And he gathered them together in a place called in the Hebrew tongue Armageddon. So if you look, if you have a map in your Bible, um, it will probably have a note there that this is the same as the Valley of Jehoshaphat, and it's called Armageddon here in the book of Revelation. Chapter, go with me to chapter 19. Chapter 19, verse 11. So they'll gather in that, in that um, valley is where it will be. So back up here as you go into chapter 19. What will happen at the end of the tribulation? The Antichrist and all his armies and forces will gather there in one place 
to fight against God. That to me and you sounds absolutely insane. Who would do that? But the Antichrist will do that. He will fight against God and, and he, will, um, he will gather his armies there in, um, at the, in Armageddon. Pick up at Revelation chapter 19 verse 11. And I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True. No doubt about who that is. And in righteousness he doth judge and make war. Uh, we saw where in Joel it said that um, they would gather in, the, um, uh, in that valley and then the gathered, said the mighty ones to come, those to come down, let the mighty ones come down. So it says here he will judge in righteousness. Verse 12, his eyes were as a flame of fire and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. And his name is called the Word of God. No doubt about who that is. That is Jesus, of course. Verse 14. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. For he treadeth the winepress, or he treadeth the winepress of the fiercest of the wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Now, you might remember that we saw in Joel 3.13, it talked about putting in the sickle, that the harvest is right. If you're still in Revelation, back up to chapter 14, if you will. Revelation 14. I meant to put this on the slide. Of course, now it doesn't matter, does it? Uh, but I meant to put that on the slide. Look with me at chapter 14, and look at verse 15 and 16. And another angel came out of the temple, saying with a loud voice, to him that sat on the cloud, thrust in thy sickle. We saw that one, remember that word, and reap, for the time has come for thee to reap. The harvest of the earth is ripe. He that sat on the cloud, thrust in the sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. So that ties in with that Joel 3.13 that talks about the sickle and the harvest being ripe. So uh, there we see Joel giving a description many, many years before of what will happen when Jesus comes back at what we call the second advent. Uh, my battery getting weak here on me. Okay, let's see. There we go. So let me move to the next slide, and it is not moving. Let's see. Um, we get to the next slide. So we'll go over a couple more slides, and we'll probably finish tonight since we don't really have the, the screen for the rest of this. Um, Let's, let's go to this part. Go with me to chapter 2 and verse 28 of Joel. Let's close up with this. We'll close a little early tonight. A lot of things in Joel to see. A lot of things written in here that are uh, very important. And I will say this. We, have a, we always do a place where we talk about uh, Joel and the, um, the fuel up where we talk about how fuel up on our, on our Route 66 is something in there about Jesus. So chapter 2, verse 28 to 32, we're going to be going to Acts chapter 2 in just a moment, but um, we'll, we'll make some stops on the way, and we'll close with this because this, this is a little lengthy, but it'll take about five, maybe ten minutes. We'll end a little early tonight. So uh, Jesus in Joel is the one who sends his spirit. Um, look with me at chapter 2, verse 28 here. And uh, he says, And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and daughters shall prophesy, and your old men shall dream dreams, your young men shall see visions. Now keep this in mind. Go with me towards uh, over to the book of Acts for a moment. Acts chapter 2. 
Uh, then we're going to back up to, to John's gospel and, and uh, look at a couple references and then we'll be done for tonight. Acts chapter 2. So this was on the slide I had earlier. Um, and if you didn't get it written down, um, it's Acts, it's Joel 2, verse 28 to 32, and then it's Acts. Pick up at Acts chapter um, 2. Both of them are chapter 2s. Acts chapter 2 and verse number 16. Let me read this passage here and look and see, maybe if you want to flip back and forth and see how, how they compare and how they differ. Look at verse um, Acts chapter 2 and verse number 16. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. Now understand what he's saying. He's not saying that this has come to pass in its completeness like Joel said. He just says this is which is spoken by. Let's find out why. Verse 17. And it shall come to pass in the last days saith God, that I'll pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants, on my handmaids, I'll pour out in those days my spirit, and they shall prophesy. Almost word for word, isn't it? Verse 19. And I'll show wonders in heaven above, and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness, and the moon into blood, before that great and notable day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be, he uses the word saved there, he uses the word delivered back in Joel. They're both very, very much the same thing, but saved um, in most places means eternal life. But what he's talking about here is at the end of the tribulation, those who uh, you know, are still alive, they refuse to take the mark of the beast, when the Lord comes back, they will be the remnant that is saved. We'll get to that in the future sometime in a study. But if you read down through there, it's almost word for word. But he does not say that this has come to pass 100%. How do we know that? Well, we know for sure at that time when, when uh, Peter spoke this, said this in Joel 2 or in Acts 2, there were no, you know, there were any signs on the earth. There wasn't blood or fire. Uh, there weren't uh, vapors of smoke. The sun wasn't turned into darkness. The moon wasn't turned into blood. So he's not saying this is coming to fulfillment. What he's saying is, is that the Lord would send his spirit. And he took this passage to apply that. Because in chapter 2 at the first part, back up with me verse 1. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all in one accord in one place. That's when the Holy Spirit comes down and indwells the believers in Acts chapter 2, in the day of Pentecost. Now, Pentecost was a feast, and it was about 50 days after Passover. And so, after Jesus had risen from the dead, after Passover, remember He was on the earth for 40 days after He rose from the dead until He ascended into heaven. So, not long after that time, about 8 to 10 days later, Pentecost occurs. Jesus is back in heaven, and the Holy Spirit comes down to indwell believers. He did that one time that way. He never did it before like that. He hasn't done it since. That was Pentecost 33. What did he do in Pentecost 34? Who knows? Pentecost 110. Who knows? Pentecost 2023. Nothing. So it was for that one time that he sent his spirit. And he comes down in chapter 2. Let's back up and look at some references. Go with me to John 16. Then we're going to come back to Acts right after that and put this together and understand why the Holy Spirit... He came that one time, that one way, and now it's different. When a person gets saved, we don't need another Pentecost, just like we don't need another Calvary. We, we, Calvary's happened. The Lord died on the cross one time, rose from the dead. We don't need another Pentecost. The Holy Spirit's already come. Look at uh, John 16, look with me at verse 7. 
Jesus says this, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient. That's a word that means it's absolutely necessary. I have to do this. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when you read through this chapter and the two chapters before, you find out, of course, that the Comforter is the Holy Spirit. That's who he's talking about. So Jesus said, um, I'm going to go away. Now, what they didn't understand at that time, they didn't really even completely understand he's going to go to the cross. And they certainly didn't understand after he rose from the dead that he would be there for a while and then go back to heaven. They didn't realize that in his fullness until it happened. So he says, I've got to go away. What he meant by that was once I rise from the dead, there's come a, going to come a point I must ascend back into heaven because until I do, the Holy Spirit can't come down and dwell believers. And so he makes that clear in John 17 that that, that has to happen. All right, go with me back to Acts, if you will. Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, verse 4. And being assembled together with them, this is Jesus, 40 days, um, back up verse 3, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them 40 days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. So after he rose from the dead, he still was on earth for 40 days, teaching his apostles, his disciples. Verse 4, being assembled together with them, commanded them they should not depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. Promise of the Father means uh, the Holy Spirit would come down. How do we know that? Look at verse 5. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. So he told the apostles, once I go back, then the Holy Spirit will come down. And so he, t he told them that in John. Now he tells them that again for them to understand. Look at down to verse 8. But ye shall receive power... After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. So he said, you'll get power. The Holy Spirit was, was to come down to indwell them, to have power for service and for daily Christian living. That's what he sent him for, for you and for me. That's why when we're saved, the Holy Spirit comes to live within us. So we saw Acts 2 a while ago, uh, and where it says the day of Pentecost was come. Verse 2 says there was a sound from heaven. Uh, as of a mush, rushing mighty rent wind, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Skip down to verse 18. We saw this. On my servants and on my handmaidens, I will pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. Now, when the Holy Spirit came down, the apostles began to speak in other languages. And we know that they were known languages because when you read from verse 4 down, people from all over the place heard the message in their own language. So it wasn't an unknown language. It was known. It might have been unknown to the one speaking it, but it was known to somebody. All right, now skip to verse um, 38, Acts 2. Then Peter said unto them, Repent, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Now understand, this is not the plan of salvation. Understand this. That is not what Peter is telling them to do. He's telling them, when you look above that, uh, look at verse 37. Now, when they heard this, they heard the message Peter preached about Jesus, about the fact that Israel had crucified their Messiah. Look at verse 37. Now, when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? We've blown it. We messed up. We crucified the Messiah that was promised to us what shall we do? He's not telling them how to be saved. They had already believed. 
Had they not, they wouldn't receive the Holy Spirit. Look what he tells them. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the Holy Ghost. So what he's telling them is, you believed, and now you realize you've blown it. You had your chance, you've blown it. You rejected your Messiah. You can receive Him as your Savior, but now He's gone back into heaven. He's not going to come back for a while. So prove, just as, he, as John had told them to, you know, if you believe your Messiah is here, and many of them did, he said, get down the water, be baptized, to prove they believe the Messiah. So they're, what they're doing is he's telling these saved people that if you will realize you have rejected your Messiah and change your mind about your Messiah, he said he will give you the gift of the Holy Ghost. In other words, now that you're saved, you also, the Holy Spirit will come to live in you. Now notice something very interesting when he says that. When you read down through there, none of the other Israelites speak in tongues. Not a one. The only ones that spoke in tongues in that chapter are those apostles that were preaching the message. They were filled with the Holy Ghost because this was a new thing that God was doing. He hadn't done that before. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would fill people, but not in the, in the complete way that he does in the New Testament now. Because these people now were part of the church. But this is a one-time event. How do we know that? Go with me to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians 1. This will help you a lot, folks. Now, if you're like me, probably all of us in here have friends, and I'm, I'm not putting down anybody. I'm not making fun of anybody. I'm not, I'm not trying to label or, or anything. You probably have some friends that are charismatic or Pentecostal. And some of them, will they will live and die on Acts 2.38. They'll say that's the way of salvation. That's not the way you get saved. The jailer had it whenever Paul told him. Paul had it right. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. That's the way to be saved is in trusting in Christ. Now, I'm not putting anybody down, but there are a lot of people who will live and die by Acts 2.38. And folks, that is not the way of salvation. And that was a one-time thing. How do we know that? Look with me at Ephesians 1. Look at verse 13. Um, actually back up to verse uh, 12, and that we should be the praise of His glory who first trusted in Christ. Here it is. In whom you also trusted after that you heard the word of truth. More specifically, what is he talking about? The gospel of your salvation. In whom also after that ye believed, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. If you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior, the Holy Spirit lives within you and you're sealed by Him. Did you feel it? I doubt it. If you did, great, but there's nothing in the Scripture that says you have to feel that or that you will feel that. You're sealed no matter what. Folks, this is one of the great... Next to John 3.16, every Christian needs to memorize this verse. Every Christian. Read it again. In whom you, after you, whom you trusted, after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and whom also, after that you believed, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. So on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came down for the first time. Now, as believers in Jesus Christ, living in, in the, the church age now, we receive the Holy Spirit the moment we trust Christ. Chapter 5, Ephesians. One last one, we'll close. Chapter 5 and verse 18. And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, we, the Holy Spirit lives within us. He indwells us. Um, we're sealed by the Spirit. But as a Christian, we're commanded daily to be filled with the Spirit. What does that mean? That means to put self aside 
And let the Holy Spirit guide us through God's Word. Let Him guide us through what God has told us in His Word. And be obedient to Him. Follow in step. Um, it says there to uh, be filled with the Spirit. Over in the book of Galatians, it talks about walking in the Spirit. What does that mean? That means to when you walk with something or someone, you take steps together. You're walking in, to use the word harmony, you're walking in unison. And so walk as the Holy Spirit leads you. So He lives within us. And He will direct us, and He'll direct us through His Word. So let's stop there tonight, because we pretty much run out of uh, the rest of our notes for tonight. So since the power didn't come back on, I was hoping it would. Let's stop there. Any questions or anything on Joel? I know a lot of this was just connected with Joel, but anyway, let's stop there tonight. Anything else on Joel before we dismiss? All right, well, let's, uh, let's stand and close in prayer. It is getting a little warm in here. Let's close in prayer. Thank you for enduring the power. Power outage, and let's stand and we'll, we'll dismiss. Thank you, Lord, for your word and what we see in the book of Joel. We know that one day you're coming back, and we look forward to that. And we thank you that as believers in Christ, you, uh, you have us in your hand. We are written on your hand. But, Lord, even greater than that, we're part of your body, and we're part of your flesh and of your bones. And we thank you that we are the body of Christ as believers in Jesus Christ. And one day you'll remove your body, your bride, from planet Earth and take us to be with you. And then there's going to be a horrible time we see in Scripture called the Day of the Lord where judgment will begin. And uh, we thank you that you'll deliver us from that. And I pray that you'll help us to be mindful, Lord, that there are people that need that message all around us every day. Thank you for the saving grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray that you'll watch over us as we leave from here tonight. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.